Alright, we're in Revelation chapter 12 this evening. Revelation chapter 12. And this chapter gives us a whole new set of images that we haven't seen up to this point. And in this chapter we're going to notice that there are three main characters. There is a woman, a dragon, and a child. And that's going to be the center of the discussion of John's vision of what he sees going on, transpiring in heaven. Let's go ahead and read the chapter and then we can get into the message that John is receiving here from the Lord. Revelation 12 verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days." Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation of the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of an eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to to the help of the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. All right, very vivid imagery that we have here in chapter 12. Really quite a story being told. And I hope you're able to visualize a lot of that imagery as all painted before us. This quite terrifying imagery of this dragon and what the dragon is attempting to do in terrorizing the woman and the child. Let's begin with the first two verses. And we have the imagery of the woman shown here for us. Some unusual imagery. The woman is clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet and on her head is a crown uh, with 12 stars. And verse 2 tells us that she is pregnant, crying in birth pains at the 
agony uh, of giving birth. Uh, This imagery has very strong prophetic language that we do find uh, over in the Old Testament that the prophets used as well. This is not the first time that we see God using this kind of language to describe the events that were going to transpire with the nation of Israel. Uh, Over in Micah chapter 4, You'll notice this language, and notice what it says there in Micah 4, verse 9. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished, that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. To start off with the message of what Micah was doing there was telling them about how the nation of Judah they're going to be carried away into Babylonian captivity and the suffering that they are going to go through as they are taken away put into slavery in that foreign land is described as this woman that is suffering through labor pains and so that's kind of the idea when you read that is well here is Israel suffering through something very traumatic something very distressful and here it is used in Micah chapter 4 to describe the nation has lost its favor with God it's going to be taken away notice how Micah continues to use that now in chapter 5 just a few verses later verse 2 But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth." Notice how the prophecy continued. The nation is going to go off into captivity. It's going to be enslaved. Again, carrying the suffering image of the woman giving birth. But then notice who is being brought forth in this labor. But the one that they were hoping for, the Messiah, is going to come. And so you have Micah laying out a timeline to the nation of Judah. You're going to go into captivity because of your sins. You're going to suffer and be there for a long time. But this suffering has an end result. There's going to be a product that comes from that. And that's going to be the Messiah is going to arrive after that time of enslavement and suffering. And so that's why it uses the idea of the woman engraved labor pains. Is your suffering is now, but the end result is going to be marvelous. And I think every woman in here would raise their hand and say the suffering was worth it. And that's the idea is that you're going through a purification process. The remnant is going to come out of this suffering and out of this captivity which will bring about the Christ, to bring about the Messiah. Chapter 5, verse 2, a passage we know pretty well, even predicting the location of the Messiah's birth there in Bethlehem. So here is Micah using all of that imagery. And so that's what the writer here in Revelation is. John receives this message. It's the same kind of picture is that this suffering that the nation is going to endure until the remnant is bringing about this Messiah. And I think that's what the first two verses is now describing. And we'll see that imagery carry out through this chapter. And we'll talk about the timeline of that as we go through. But for now, I think the first two verses is showing us here is the remnant. 
the people that came out of that Babylonian captivity who are the true people of God. Here are God's people. They've come through that suffering and is in the process now of giving birth. And you see that in verse 2, crying out in the birth pains. The Messiah is about to arrive. Okay, so that's that's how we begin this imagery. Now, verses 3 and 4 add the second character to the story. We, we have the good news so far. Here is the remnant. We have the Messiah is about to come. And now we kind of flip the page over and see now here's the other side of that coin. Here is the suffering side of that as we are now seeing the dragon. Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. A great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head heads are seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Okay? So we have some imagery here. You'll notice some pretty gruesome imagery. And in fact, I'm very pleased to have a semblance of what this thing might have kind of looked like. Here's a red dragon with all these heads and horns, and it's kind of like, whoa. Very terrifying image. As we've seen through the book of Revelation, the horns always represent power. This dragon carries extreme significant power within himself. And so that's what you see there in verse 3 with the ten horns. He has tremendous power that he wields. He also carries tremendous authority. Notice that he has crowns on his heads or diadems, which is an interesting statement as well to show that this dragon has great authority. He has great power. He has knowledge and strength and might. And also, just as an aside, somewhat interesting, uh, you'll notice your your Bible probably says there that he had diadems on his head and not crowns. Uh, the word that is back in verse 1 that's described with what is on the head of the woman is a crown, but the words used here for what's on the dragon's head is not a crown, it is a diadem. Now, the only place we ever read about diadems in the New Testament is right here in the book of Revelation. And so that causes a lot of people to scratch their head and go, well, why would you call it a diadem? And I think the, the reasoning that most of the scholars come to is that the crown suggests something far more permanent in the victory that this remnant has. Whereas this authority that the dragon is wielding is not permanent. He does have power and authority and might. But it's not going to be forever. And that's going to be the scene as we go on later through the book. And especially when we get to Revelation chapter 20, we'll see the end result of that, that this dragon is going to lose his power and lose his might. But that's kind of the best idea that most have as to why the distinction, why does the woman have a crown, why does the dragon dragon have diadems, is suggesting the greater victory that this woman is going to experience. Notice also another part of uh, the picture here. And you'll see then, uh, and I've got that on the screen, so let me give that to you as well. You'll see an, another image there in verse 4. It says, the tail, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them uh, to the earth. We, we've noted many times as well in our studies from the Old Testament and as we've gone through Revelation that the stars frequently represent nations or kings or powers, things like that. So again, this verse is trying to express to us 
the great authority and might that this dragon possesses. That's going to be important because when we get to chapter 13, we're going to see this dragon raise up one terrifying beast that is a great world power intent on destruction. And so it is already warming us up to this possibility to see the great power of this dragon who can sweep away a third of the stars. He has power over kings and nations. He rules with great might. And he doesn't tell us right here because he introduces the third character in verses 5 and 6, but you jump down to verse 9 and he makes sure that we are very clear in our knowledge of who this dragon is. Did you like all the different descriptions that are given there in verse 9? 1. The ancient serpent. 2. The devil. 3. Satan. 4. The deceiver of the whole world. Do you know who this fellow is? That is just giving us every possible description and picture of who this dragon is. And so we are clear that this is Satan. That is who is represented by the dragon. And so it reminds us, as we've reminded ourselves throughout this study, these are not literal images that there's going to be some dragon one day or something like that. This is symbolizing the terrifying authority and power and might that Satan wields. And we are reading about what Satan is going to do. And so John now is writing down this prophecy and showing here's the events that are going to transpire. So notice what we have before us so far. We have the woman represented as the remnant, the true people of God. Here are the Jews who have come out of that captivity and they are going to have this Messiah through that lineage that's about to come. But the dragon, Satan, is in preparations to destroy that child. That's how verse 4 ended, is that he is standing before the woman about to give birth so that when she bears the child, he is going to devour it. We have Satan intent on killing the child. Well, who is the child? Well, that's what verses 5 and 6 now reveal for us. Verse 5, we have the woman, she gives birth to the male child and says, the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to the throne. That is a very important phrase to tell us who the child is. That passage there when it says that this is the one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, that comes from Psalm chapter 2, which tells us about who God enthroning His Son to be ruler over all the earth. Psalm 2 verse 7, I will do, tell of this decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nation your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And here's the phrase that Revelation 12 is alluding to. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Later on in the book in Revelation 19, same language and speaking of Christ as He rides in on the white horse is described that He is ruling them with a rod of iron. So we have now our three main characters and now we have to begin to have them interact. We have the woman. She's the remnant. We have the dragon. That's Satan. We have the child. That's Christ. Okay, here we go. Now all the scenery now begins to move before us now that these three main characters are introduced. So the end of verse 4 in telling us that the dragon is trying to kill the child is here is Satan trying to destroy Christ. 
in waiting before the remnant, as waiting for this Messiah to arrive, Satan is intent on devouring it. He's going to destroy the Messiah. That is the picture before us. Notice that verse 5 tells us that there's a wrench in Satan's plan. Rather than being able to devour the child as Satan wants to, we see, notice that verse 5 says that this child is born and is caught up to God and His throne. And so, rather than Satan being successful in destroying the child and destroying Christ, we see a picture likely referring to the ascension or resurrection of Christ. This already begins to show us the foiling of Satan's plan. Satan wants to destroy Christ, and as we perhaps visualize in our minds, as Christ is killed on the cross, that that might have been a time of victory within Satan's heart and mind, but he is unsuccessful and is not victorious. Here is imagery in verse 5 showing, no, Christ is victorious. He ascends, is caught up to God and to His throne. In the meantime, verse 6 tells us what's happening with the woman. The woman flees to the wilderness where she is placed, where there's a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And so we have the woman, the remnant, then fleeing for protection. Now, we're going to learn more about that in just a moment when we get down to verses 13 through 17. He's going to tell us more details about that protection. But he's setting the scene up for us is that the remnant is being preserved. Now, you've been with us in our Revelation study. The 1,260 days now becomes no problem for us because we've seen this language used quite a few times. 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, Time, times, and half a time, all the same duration, all the same time frame, talking about there's going to be a limited time of persecution, suffering, or distress, tribulation that is going to occur. And that makes sense of what's being said here. Here is Satan attempting to destroy the Christ, fails, attempting to attack the remnant, and the remnant is being protected in the midst of this onslaught from Satan. And as I mentioned, we'll see more of that when we go down to verses 13 through 17. So he holds those images before us. There is the woman. There is the remnant. And the remnant is successful in bringing about the Christ. And Satan has tried to destroy the Christ, but he is unsuccessful. That's where we've started so far. Okay? Now we go to verse 7, and the scene is going to move forward for us. Verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fighting. Back, but there he but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Now, this is commonly, I think, understood by people to say, now, here's what happened way before the foundations of the world is that there was Satan and there was God, and they had a big old battle, and Satan lost, and he got cast to the earth, and that's why he's terrorizing us, and he belongs up there, but he lost the battle. I do not believe that is at all the time frame of what is being described here. I do not think that he is now looking way backward in time and saying, now before all of this scene that we've just painted before you began, way back here thousands of years before that, I just want you to know what happened in the heavenly places. 
I don't think so. I think what's going on is the current scene. He's going to tell us what is in the process of happening right there at that moment. This language of Michael fighting against the dragon, the dragon is being cast out. Though Jesus didn't use the imagery of the dragon, He did talk about what would happen to Satan when Jesus died and was glorified. And I want you to notice it with me in John chapter 12 and verse 27. Uh, Over in John chapter 12 and verse 27, you'll notice what Jesus says. Right here as He's about to get arrested, He's he's just uh, moments away from that. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. And, And visualize, and then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, verse 33 is important. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Notice what Jesus ties to his death. He says, now judgment is coming to the world. And he also says, and the ruler of this world is going to be cast out or cast down. And so that is very important imagery telling us here is the victory of Christ. And here is the intention of what took place. And so what verses 7 and 8 are showing for us is the heavenly counterpart of what has taken place on the earth. We go and read the Gospels and we know Christ is victorious over sin, over death, over Satan. And now we are given a heavenly visual of that. In Christ's death, in His resurrection and in His ascension, it is the decimation of Satan. He loses when that happens. That is when He is cast out. That is when He has His power lost and He is now being limited. And I think then the imagery is how Christ has dealt a blow to Satan through through His death and through His resurrection. And that's what is going to carry on here. Notice in verse 10 how that fits the scene. Because what happens? He says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ has come. Notice the the sequencing of what's happened. With this event, with Satan being cast down, what has happened? Salvation has come. Power to Christ has come. The kingdom has come. Authority of His Christ has come. These are all events that transpired with the death and the resurrection of Christ. And the rest of it as well. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our Lord. Satan has been thwarted and now the effects of that are being declared and they are being proclaimed and rejoiced in the heavenly places. Look at what has happened because Christ has been victorious over Satan. Now that there is salvation, now we see Christ ruling on the throne. Now He possesses authority. Now He cannot accuse the people any longer because 
salvation has come. And so verse 10 is laying all of that great imagery out before us, is that Satan has lost the battle. Satan has been cast out and no longer is there a place found for him. So that is, I think, the imagery that is being carried out for us and saying here is the victory of Christ. Satan thought he would be victorious, and that's what verse 4 was showing. He was going to try to devour the child. That did not happen. Christ, through His death and through His resurrection and through His ascension, these three things show the victory of Christ, and that is the crushing of Satan. Because of that, we're going to see what the dragon, what that causes the dragon to do. But notice a little bit more about what happens concerning all of this. Because he tells us now about this salvation. Uh, in verse 10, the, the accuser has been thrown down. Verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. We'll talk about the end of verse 12 in just a second. But see the picture of what great rejoicing. Look at what has happened because salvation has come. And because the authority of Christ has been established. And the accuser has been cast down. And I think that fits quite parallel to what we see Paul exclaiming in the book of Romans. In chapter 8 and verse 1. That now there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Because Christ has died and raised from the dead. And who can bring any charge? against God's elect? And the answer, of course, is no one because of what Christ has done. And so you have this great victory and rally cry given here in the heavenly places saying, look at what the victory of Christ has done, what He has accomplished on the cross. And that's why Jesus Himself could say that He is going to be glorified when He's going to be nailed on that cross. And the words from heaven itself to say, I have glorified it, And I will glorify it again. I think, say, you are glorified, and in the resurrection it will be glorified yet again. And so again, depicting the power and the authority and the victory that Christ would have. Now, picking up on verse verse 11 and verse 12, they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb. I want you just to notice that statement there. Did that seem right? It doesn't say He conquered them. They conquered them. Now all of that imagery about Christ and His victory and what He's done and how He's defeated Satan is transferred to the people of God here, to the remnant, to those who are truly His, to spiritual Israel. And it says, they are the ones who have conquered Satan. And that has been done by two very important things. He says, by the blood of the Lamb. Not only has Christ been victorious over Satan, but we also are victorious over Satan. As I love the ending to the book of of Romans and talking about crushing Satan under your feet. And the same picture here is that the people of God, they also are victorious. But notice the second way. First, very important, they conquer by the blood of the Lamb. If Christ does not die and does not raise from the dead, there is not victory for anybody. We are all lost. And so he puts that central. By the blood of the Lamb, that's how we are able to conquer Satan. But notice the second part as well in verse 11. And by the word of their testimony. 
This has been an important concept that we have seen in the book of Revelation about the true people of God, that they are being killed, as we saw in chapter 7. But they are sealed. They are dying for their faith. They are serving the Lord, even though it cost them their lives. If you remember way on back, it's been a while since we were back in chapters 2 and 3, but back there in those chapters, remember the statements that were made to them about they were going to experience tribulation and to be faithful unto death, telling the Christians that they would suffer physical harm and death, but they would be victorious. And so here is that same picture. You have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by being faithful through the word of their testimony as they continue to proclaim a risen Savior. And let's underline the last part of verse 11. They did not love their lives even to death. That is a very powerful statement. Put that and put the period at the end of lives. They did not even love their lives. They were willing to sacrifice their lives because they loved Christ above all else. And it did not matter what was going to happen against them. It did not matter the kind of persecution, tribulation, or suffering they would experience. They did not love their lives so as to try to preserve it at all costs. They didn't love their lives. They loved the Lord. And then tack on, even to death. Even to the point of death, they gave their lives up for the cause of Christ. This is a glorious picture. A a picture that I, I, I step back and kind of tremble at and just go, wow. That is what Christianity looks like. Loving Christ above all else, even to death, to give everything up in this world, to be with the Lord. Here are these Christians experiencing that. And notice the heavens are glorifying that. They have conquered the Satan. They are the ones who have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives even to death. And so what a powerful picture. And it is certainly one that we need to be mindful of. Will we give our lives no matter what? Will we give no ma- anything that we have, no matter what the cost, to be able to follow Jesus? This would be a good, if I wasn't doing Revelation, let's go do the pearl of great price. Let's go talk about will you sell all that you have to obtain Christ? Because that is what is being pictured here in this book right now. Is Look at what the Christians have given. They are dying for their love for Jesus. And that's then what the rest of that does in verse 12 is the rejoicing that takes place, rejoicing in our status, rejoicing in the victory that these Christians have obtained. But notice the rest of that. It's unfortunate that we cannot say, and that's the end of the story, and the dragon is not going to do any more. He's going to give up. When Christ died on the cross and raised from the dead, the dragon licked his wounds. He walked away and said, I give up. I'm not going to do anything more. Chapter 12, to one sense, is a little bit humorous because what we are reading about is the repeated defeat of the dragon. The dragon continues to have plans and continues to fail at everything he attempts. His first failure is attempting to destroy the Christ. That does not happen. 
He now chases after the remnant. And now that's what's brought back into play in verse 13 as he's going to give us more description about this attack. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now who was the woman who gave birth to the child? We saw that earlier back in those first few verses. That's the remnant there. It is that remnant that had given birth to the child. So that's what we're looking at here. The dragon is pursuing the remnant there. Verse 14, But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. So the dragon pursues the woman. Satan is attacking the remnant. However, the woman is carried off into protection. The remnant is being spared spiritually. And that continues to be the imagery that we have seen from the beginning of chapter 6. And really, to chapters 2 and 3 as well. is They're suffering at the hands of Satan, but here is God's protection. This language of being carried on eagles' wings, you might have heard that a few places. I know a few songs that speak of being carried on eagles' wings. That's a great, powerful picture of victory, like in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4 in describing the victory that Israel had over the Egyptians. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And then Isaiah's prophecy certainly comes to mind when he speaks of the remnant and what will happen for them. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not think the victory of the people of God. And so that's why that imagery is used here to be carried with eagles wings is showing God's protection and God's victory given to the remnant. Now, Pick up a little bit more here because I think verse 14 is showing us that same equation. What we saw earlier back in verse 6, the woman fled to the wilderness, verse 6, a place prepared by God for 1,260 days. Or to say it another way, in verse 14, she's taken up by two wings of a great eagle into the wilderness to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. He just said the exact same thing. He's trying to bring that imagery from verse 6 back in. So, okay, we have the remnant. The remnant has given birth to the child. The dragon has failed in trying to consume the child. He's now taking his attack at the remnant again. But that's a failure. Verse 14 shows us that's not going to work. The the woman is protected. Now notice verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away like a flood. The continued onslaught and attack against the remnant. And this is language that's used in the Scriptures many places. David used it in Psalm 18. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assail me. To speak of water as a torrent is describing affliction, persecution, distress. And then notice when that was taken away, David said, He sent he sent from on high. He took me and drew me out of many waters. To be in the floods is to be in distress. To be taken out of the torrent is then to be spared. And so we have Satan now failing in his attempt to destroy the remnant. He is unsuccessful. Notice that there in verse 16, that the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. To sum up all that imagery, I think the intention is to say Satan's not giving up, but God continues to protect. Satan tries to kill the child. No, he's ascended. He's fine. Satan tries to destroy the remnant. No, not going to work. 
God is protecting in the place where God had prepared. So continual attack after attack, continued failure is happening as the people of God are protected from this onslaught. That leaves us the final verse, verse 17. Probably one of the best lines. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. That just shows he's not accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. He continues to fail in his attempts. And so he is enraged by this. Notice we saw that earlier when he was cast out out of heaven that he was uh, was angry about that back in verses 7 through 10. So here he is cast out again. Uh, And so we see the same imagery here. The dragon is furious with the woman. And now watch the rest. And went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now he's going to make one more attack. He did not he was not successful in destroying the Messiah, the Christ. He was not successful at exterminating the remnant so that the Christ could not come. So he turns his attention now to those who follow Jesus. And that's what chapter 13 is going to set up for us. In some ways, a a bad chapter break, but it's going to talk about a new image. But in 13, it's a continuation from 12 because it's going to show the dragon is going to raise up this beast and the intention of the beast is to make war with the people of God. Chapter 13 is going to picture for us, here's how Satan is going to continue his attack. He has not given up But he keeps failing in everything that he does. And so the remnant was protected. Christ was protected. And so Satan has now turned his attention to the people of God, the Christians. And they are going to suffer. And so the rest of this, what's being projected to the rest of this book is that Satan is going to persecute the Christians. Satan is going to try to destroy the Christians. And so that's what we're going to read about over the next few chapters. In chapter 13, very sad, upsetting imagery to read about the death of the Christians happening at the hands of this beast. And what we're being told here in chapter 12 is this is Satan's doing. This is Satan's attack against the people of God. He is trying to win somehow, some way. And he is furious because he has not been victorious up to this point. I want to leave you with just two thoughts for this evening before we close from the book of Revelation tonight. First of all, what a great picture of victory. What a great picture of victory that is seen here when it comes out of this and all of the suffering and all of the events of what Satan is trying to do. Here is God placing upon the people of God and saying, they have victory over Satan. And that promise still remains that we have victory over Satan through the blood of Christ. That is the key reason that we can be victorious and why we can stand whole before God and have all the great blessings that are laid out for us is because we can conquer because Christ has conquered by His blood. But the rest of that for us as well, that we will conquer with the word of our testimony that we will open our mouths and teach the world about what Christ has done, that we will show the world the victory that Christ has over Satan, and that we will not love our lives even to death. And that is the third, the second point that I want to leave you with, is that call for faithfulness. To be faithful no matter what. No matter what the circumstances, no matter the difficulties, no matter the uprising, persecution, distress, whatever it is. 
We will be faithful to God no matter what. We will not give up because we see that we have the victory. And Revelation paints it as the victory has already been obtained. Christ has already won the battle. Satan has already been cast out. You just need to be faithful to the end to receive the crown because the outcome has been determined because Christ has won and Satan is simply furious at that and is trying to draw away whoever he can from that offspring of God's to sweep them away so they cannot inherit eternal life. We beg you to come to Jesus this very evening to turn away from your sins, believing that He is the Son of God who came into this world and died for your sins, to be immersed in water so that your sins can be washed away, to begin a relationship with Jesus. We encourage you to do that, and I hope you see the victory that stands for you, that you can conquer Satan, that you can stand victorious, that you can rule with Christ, as we'll see in chapter 14. A great picture of being the people of God. Won't you come and accept God's call right now while we stand and while we sing?